Hello and welcome to episode 70 of the GameWave podcast. And this is a special episode because it is the metal special, the heavy metal special of the GameWave podcast. The first one we've ever done. That first track you heard was called Third Kind. And it comes from a release called Encounters by Zantilla. A bit of gent chip tune for you there. You can, you can get that on Zantilla's Bandcamp page for $2. Definitely worth your money. And on the show today... I've got a special guest who's never, ever been on the show before, but you've you've been a long-time listener, haven't you? Yeah, I did. I used to listen to it in my friend's garage and would just get illegally inebriated and just lay and listen to it and, like, chill and mong, and it was awesome, and now here I am four years later, whatever it is, three Fulf- years. Fulfilling a childhood dream. Exactly, it's true. I finally met you. <laughs> Celebrity status. <laughs> Yeah, if people have liked the Game Wave Podcast Facebook page, they might have already caught a glimpse of you because I posted a picture of my Halloween costume from this year. I was Charlie Brown, and you were Snoopy, weren't you? Would you like to introduce yourself? I'm Sam. I'm from Britain, 22 years old. I like chip tune and, I don't know, thinking about things. <laughs> Pretty badass. Yeah, I mean, we've, we're like blood relations, aren't we? Yeah, man. Blood like, players. first cousins. And we didn't hang out for ages, but then we kind of started hanging out because we, like, saw each other at, like, horse the band shows and things yeah. like that. And we'll be talking about all that later on. But, yeah, on, on this week's show is the Metal Special. A large part of the show is going to be dedicated to Norin Rad because we've got an exclusive interview with him. He's going to be talking about his chiptune death metal release, Anomaly, which I'm sure a lot of you will be familiar with. So we're really pleased to have got that. And he asked for us is going to be bringing his, his top three chip metal tracks later in the show, so that should be pretty cool. Little parcels of happiness. It's going to be quite a long show, I've got that feeling. So sit back, relax, get moshing, I think. I think that's the, uh, the yeah. tagline for this episode. Yeah, we just before the show started tonight, we were just chilling, and you suggested putting on a track, didn't you? Yeah. Like that I'd never really heard before. What was it? It's uh, it's called Pokemon's Business from Earthbound or Mother Two. It's I think it's mistranslated. It's meant to be Porky, which well we assume that because the stage on Brawl is called New Pork City rather than New Poke City. But his brother was called Picky, so I don't know. <laughs> anyway, go. On. But yeah, that track it's like it starts off all like cute, doesn't it? And then it just like goes into some proper like snes metal. Yeah, it does, man. It's it's the change in the battle though. That's when it hits. Yeah, that's a game I need to play. I was saying, when I? I need to like play Mother. Oh, mate! Because it's one of your favorite games. It, it? made me tear up in Butlins. <laughs> Seriously, <laughs> like when you have to resort. What were you playing it at Butlins? I was playing it in bed at Butlins, and like that bit, like oh, it, you can't explain it without spoiling. The end. It. Yeah, the yeah, very end. Don't ending, spoil like, it. Just there's a. You have to resort to desperation. <sighs> Like, literally, like, not using a potion or something like that. Like, literally, when there's nothing else you can do. Like, I'm not going to say anymore, but it's, it's amazing. <laughs> That's intrigued me even more now. And then also, it, it, it like, re- refers to a bit you did earlier in the story where maybe you did a certain thing or put in some information and it brings it back to you <sighs> and you've forgotten about it completely. And it welled me up inside. Right, it tugs at like, the heartstrings. Yeah, it, it really does, man. Yeah. I'm going to play it. It's definitely on my to playlist. Yeah. So, yeah. It's a good track, man. <laughs> I just didn't expect it. It just got proper heavy. And, it like, the, the the synth sounded like 
a, a, like a heavy guitar. It's yeah, really it cool. does. It's just a short segment in the second half, though, but yeah. it's still sick. Nice. Yeah, so we're going to be bringing you the best in 8-bit and chiptune metal-inspired music on this show. And we've been quite lucky in the fact that we're recording the the metal special of the show tonight and there's been a big release that's dropped in the chiptune scene it's um what is it sam it's uh big steel wheels by c jeff yeah and he's a russian chiptune artist if you follow any of the chiptune artists on twitter i'm sure you'll have seen people tweeting about this it's um a really cool album 13 tracks and a lot of it is very synth heavy but a lot of it is also very metal inspired and we're going to play a track from that release for you now, this is Blacklock from Big Steel Wheels by Seijer. This is Seijer and you are listening to Gameway with Joe.
that was Black Lock by C. Jeff. Yeah, featuring Stemage. And if you're into your video game music, you might know him from a project called Metroid Metal. And they were a covers band that, that played all Metroid music. What do you think about the Metroid music, Sam? Oh, it's, it's very atmospheric. Like, as a child playing Metroid Prime 1 and 2 for GameCube. That like used to legitimately like scare me. Yeah, it it is. It's very like brooding, isn't it? It is. And Metroid Metal were a, were a band that just played all that brooding music, but in heavy metal style. The guy behind it was Stemage, and he was featured in that C. Jeff track you just heard playing the guitar. So all the shredding that was Stemage. Yeah, it's that that whole release is very inspired by Vince DiCola, who did the soundtracks for things like Transformers the movie and some of the Rocky films and. All that really cool, you know, synth-driven music. So yeah, definitely check that out. That's one of the bigger releases to be released in chip tune lately. Yeah, another member of the Metroid Metal project was Danimal Cannon, and we'll we'll be talking about him uh, a bit later on in the show, so you can look forward to that. He just did a, a talk at TED, didn't he, which we just watched oh, yeah. on YouTube, um, all about chip tune. But yeah, we'll be talking about that a bit later on in the show. What have we got coming up now, Sam? This is Thrash Bath by Rainbow Dragon Eyes. Yeah, check it out. Just makes my day in the ground. 
been a, a few things happening in the Pokemon world, hasn't there, Sam, lately? Yeah. And I thought, while we've got you on the show, you, out of all the people that I know, probably know <laughs> most about Pokemon. Yeah, it's, it's ridiculous, man. Yeah, so like, obviously... It's an unhealthy relationship. <laughs> an addiction. Yeah. The new games have come out, X and Y. And also another cool thing, which I noticed uh, recently, Pokemon The Origin is a new anime that's come out which goes back to the time of um, Red and Green and you know shows that in a, a modern-day anime. Mm-hmm. Have you managed to check that out at all? No, I haven't watched it yet, but my girlfriend has. What, what did she say? She says she's... It's, you probably shouldn't like, take this to heart because she overanalyzes everything about Pokemon, but like, she says she feels it's, it's rushed and impersonal because... You don't get to see all the epic gym battles and like Pokemon character development where you see what sort of personality they've got. So compared to playing that game. Yeah, when you when you're playing that game, you grow attached to these Pokemon, they become your brothers in arms. And that little Ekans you you never loved, like when you when you use it against I don't know, when you first catch it just as you get into Cerulean and then you have to use it against Misty Starmie to take off that last bit of HP, man, it, it touches you, but when apparently I haven't even seen this <laughs> in Origins, like the Pokemon switch around all the time, and the only character Pokemon that gets developed is the Charizard, and it's like, yo, I'm a badass Charizard. <laughs> all the Pokemon noobs love Charizard, and like it's just appealing to them, and it sucks. But that's not even my opinion. So. <laughs> yeah, I watched it and I liked it because it's. I only saw the first episode. I, I'm gonna watch the others, but it's just it's cool to have that era. That I grew up playing, like immortalized in the anime. I think yeah. again. Yeah, I can understand that. See, if somebody said that to me, like explained it like that, I'd say, "Oh, I'd love to watch that for the nostalgia and yeah, you know." Exactly. So I bet it is good, but she's just picky. And, you know. <laughs> anyway, the new Pokemon games. I feel like for me, at least, you know, obviously I was into Red and Blue and then Gold and Silver, but after that, I kind of stopped Pokemon. Yeah. I guess that was the same with a lot of people in my age group. Uh, or at least stop playing the games. But you've carried on, haven't you? And it's I like have, a, yeah. a huge part of your life. <laughs> it is. <laughs> so, do you want to just like update people on what's going on, like in the Pokemon world? Because like, there's things like Mega Evolutions, isn't there? And yeah, it, I'd see, I think that's a bit too far with the Megas. But like the new Pokemon, they're not too bad. It's what to be ex- expected after like. They've pretty much thought of everything, you know, they've got the fridges, the ovens, the washing machines. Well, we were literally sat in, in this very room having a conversation the other yeah. night, weren't we? And I was just looking around my room and I pointed at a chest of drawers and said, there probably is a Pokemon that's a chest <laughs> of drawers, as a complete joke. Yeah. And then you told me. Yeah, it's a Rotom form. There's loads of forms of Rotom. And this, to me, like, it's not a joke. Like, if I was speaking to my friend who likes Pokemon like this, we wouldn't go, ha <laughs> You know, a, f- a chest of drawers or a washing machine or whatever, we'd be like, oh, yeah, it's got good stats. Uh, it could be good in partnership with this. So that's become the norm for people who, like, keep up with Pokemon. There's also an ice cream, isn't there? There is, yeah. Vanillite, Vanillux, and then the big one. I don't know what it is. I can't remember what it's called. So even you can't remember all the names? No, I don't know. Well... From black and white onwards, I don't know them as well because I, I, I didn't really like the black and white Pokemon set, especially not the vanilla ones. One of my friends got it and he said it was rubbish and then we none of us have ever spoke about that Pokemon again. <laughs> you, you can't, you haven't got time to when there's 750. Exactly, and it just doesn't appear in competitive play, it's too frail. Really? You know? So it's not worth mentioning, as right. sad as that is. <laughs> it's true, it's sad. Other than in jest. 
Yeah, other than in Jess. Like, so many Pokemon have become out class. Gen 1s, it's sad. Like, you'll never see them anymore because there's a Pokemon that does the same job ten times better. Yeah, because you see Pokemon in this, like, really, like, chess-like, analytical way. Yeah, And you've told me about the battles, like, you and your girlfriend have (laughs) and how you, like, double, triple bluff each other. Yeah, it's ridiculous. Like, what's different in the battle system between old Pokemon and the new Pokemon game? Well, for a start, like, we're talking, like, red and blue. Yeah, back in that era, red and blue, gold and silver. Well, back then, really, competitive battling wasn't viable. Like, the the meta game wasn't viable because there were so many flaws in it. And I'm not dissing Pokemon, I love red and blue. But when you move up to new games, you'll realise how it's developed. Because, like, in red and blue, um, there's only one bug move, which is Leech Life. It does 30 damage... Um, like the the move focus energy doesn't actually work. It doesn't give you more critical hits. There's just lots of flaws and lots of exploits that if you really really wanted to win, you could abuse to win, mm-hmm. and that's why it ruined the original like you know battling game. But now it's so updated and advanced. Like I mean, I just EV'd a swallow recently. And a what? Just, a, a swallow is evolution swallow. of gulping poison type, which is my favorite type, and it's meant to be like a tank, like massive defense, massive special defense, but it's just outclassed by every single one of the new tanks. Like, we're talking like Ferrothorn or like Sylveon or anything. Lots of things can out-tank a Swallow. Even with Black Sludge, Protect, Yawn, Toxic, Infestate, whatever, you know, all the stalling moves you can imagine, it's still, there's people that can do it a million times better. So it's just sad. Right. <laughs> it upsets me. So are the games better or worse for this progression? I'd say... Mm, I'd say better, definitely. Like, if you bought X and Y, and like, even if you're like hung up on your nostalgia, you you have to get past that. If you're truly a Pokemon fan, if you really like Pokemon, you won't say, "Oh, only Red and Blue and Gold and Silver." Yeah, of course, they give you like a little tingle, tingle in your penis because of you know how awesome they are and how you played it when you were eight. But like, it's gone further than that, man. There's more to it. Like, you should download Pokemon Showdown. That's so cool. Like you don't have to EV or train any of the Pokemon. You can just get them up. Oh, and you play were telling me about people. that. Yeah. So it's seriously, it's for the PC, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Download it. You, you can like you can try out your strategies without putting fifty hours into EV and a Pokemon. Except it doesn't take that long anymore because the X and Y system, the super training makes it. You can do it in like two hours. Really? Yeah. That's, super training. Yeah, it's like it's EV training that you used to do on black and white, but like it never said, oh, this is how to EV train a Pokemon. You have to find that out for yourself. You know, but now it's become a recognised thing. And also what annoys me is the IVs of Pokemon now. The individual values. So every Pokemon's born with IVs. And they might have, like, it's up to 31 in each stat. And if you had 31 IVs in each stat, you'd have 31 above the base stat in each one. You didn't really used to... It used to be very difficult to control the IVs of a Pokemon. Like when you were breeding back in the day. But now, using Destiny Knots and, like, Dittos with max IVs and stuff like that, you can... Over time, maybe 50 hours, which is not too much to put in if you really care, like I do. Like, you can get max IVs on a bred Pokemon, and that just makes, like, everything else, like, obsolete. Like, if you're playing against somebody who's just gone through a story like, yay, I've got my Blaziken, my Charmander, I've got this one with Surf and Cut and Fly. Like, if, and then you go into battle, you're like, oh, let's have a battle, like some young, naive child. Then they get, like, met with some Japanese elite Pokemon master. Like, Choice Scarf, Chandelier, Breloom, Swords Dance, like, all that, like, unbeatable stuff. They'd just be destroyed and distraught and just, like, be completely off-put forever. So that's how it's changed. 
Yeah. So yeah, Pokemon's become quite serious. It has. <laughs> it has. Like when I fight against my girlfriend and brother, we talk about a scene called getting the shakes, where like you're so determined and and this is a turn-based game. It's not action. You know, you're not jumping out of the way of things, but you still get the adrenaline rush when you're fighting. When you get that critical hit or when like you the toxic misses or something, it's game changing. Yeah. But annoying at the same time. <laughs> cool. And thus concludes our interview on Pokemon. <laughs> Thank you very much. Oh, I could say so much more. Man. Turned into a bit of an interview there. But yeah, I mean, Pokemon, what more can we say? Yeah man. How'd you get hundred Pikachu's on a bus? <laughs> Pokemon. <laughs> get it, Pokemon. <laughs> the old classics. <laughs> So yeah, back to the music. This is the Metal Special after all. Now we've got a bit of a blast from the past. What have we got coming up next, Sam? This is Rain Cloud by Electrostatic Discharge. This is a bit of a metal influence side project that Spamtron had back in the day when he was active with Megatwerp and things like that. And yeah, it's really cool. Check it out.
So you just heard Dimension Reversing Dualities, and that was by Diad. And they were a chiptune partnership composed of Heosphorus and Tadpole. They released their, their album, Dimension Reversing Dualities, on Ubik Tune, and it's really cool if you like metal music. And now we're going to hear from Heosphorus and his top three chip metal tracks. Uh, also, he has his own radio show. It's called He Essentials. And it's kind of Heosphorus bringing you all the chip tunes he thinks you should be listening to. In fact, we've got a little clip for him to tell you all about it himself. He Essentials first started off as a music blog where I could showcase songs I felt needed more attention and would be great stepping stones for newcomers to the chip music scene. Now jumping from the He Essentials blog, the live radio show version of He Essentials can be heard every Monday night from 8 to 9 p.m. Eastern Time at arciboradio.com. You can also give He Essentials a like on Facebook, facebook.com slash He Essentials. So there you go. Check out Heosphorus' radio show, He Essentials. You can listen to it through arecboradio.com. They've got a Facebook page. Go over and like them. And all the shows are archived online. They're not in a podcast, but if you go to um, He Essentials' Facebook page, you can find the archive shows and listen back in case you, you can't listen live. Now we're going to hear from Heosphorus and his top three chip metal tracks. And this is the guy who knows what he's on about. If you're going to listen to this stuff, listen to what this guy tells you to. Do as he says. <laughs> hey, this is Heosphorus, chip metal composer, radio host for the Hue Essentials, and co-owner of Telefuture Records. These are my top three chip metal tracks.
Hey, Game Wavers, this is Hyosphorus, and you're listening to the Game Wave Podcast.
Okay, welcome back. You just heard three tracks, all hand-picked by Heosphorus. Those were his top three chip metal tracks. I enjoyed them. They were really good. Yeah. The first one was Unleash the F***ing Fury by Kedava. That was made on a SID chip. The second one was Assembly Line by Guillotine Factory, made on a Game Boy. And the third was Curse of the Tomb Beneath the Quicksand by Fazook. And that was made on a NES. And now we get into the, the part of the show that you've all been looking forward to, hopefully. We're going to hear from Norinrad in a GameWave podcast exclusive. Now, just a bit of background information. If you're not familiar with Norinrad, he released a very well-known chiptune death metal album back in 2010. We were listening to it before the show, weren't we? Yeah, it's awesome. Yeah, it was released on the, the Pause Net label. And I'm, I'm going to include the link to the release page in the show notes because even up until 2013, there's a conversation going on on that page between fans of that release and Norinrad himself. It's, it's a cool read if you're into the release. But yeah, we're going to hear from him now. He's going to tell us all about the making of Anomaly and then give us an update on what he's been working on more recently. So let's get into it. Hello everyone, this is Matt Creamer, also known as Norn Rad. Um, I was asked if I could come on the Heavy Metal Special Edition episode of the GameWave podcast to uh, talk a little bit about my 2010 chiptune death metal album Anomaly. <sighs> Where to begin? Um, well, I guess cute chiptunes have never really appealed to me. Um, uh, for the longest time, I don't even recall... Like, in the chiptune community, in the very beginning, um, I don't think there was any attempt to make a chiptune that wasn't cute-sounding. And uh, I'm not faulting them. I know firsthand that, by default, when you're writing with square waves, you hear um, happy you hear happy things. Like, it takes a lot of effort to hear something, I guess, menacing or dark uh, from a chiptune. Or to to see it in that way, and so um, when I was younger, there was uh, two examples I can think of of uh, Nintendo music that actually scared me. Like I was I was scared while I was playing the game. Simon's Quest, uh, the very last song in the game or the last level, Dracula's Castle. It had its own song. Um, <clears throat> it's basically just an arpeggio playing, um, and there's no enemies in the castle. Uh, it's just you walking through the castle alone, and um, the, uh, you know, putting those two ideas together, like there's this song playing that's already like foreboding, but there's no enemies in the castle that um, that terrified me because it was artistic, you know, like, well, what's going to happen? Why is there no enemies in this castle? Like what is awaiting? And so the buildup was awesome for that. And so if I was like, <clears throat> I think seven or eight at the time, like that, that really stuck with me uh, more than like, you know, like the Mario Bros theme that, that didn't stick with me. Um, and then later there was uh, the last song again uh, from the floating castle in Rygar. Uh, there was just this really simple chord progression that was um, really echoey. I think it was just the square waves playing it um, and there was no percussion track. And uh, that was like kind of this minimalistic droning ambient approach to 
you know, when you think about getting to the final level in a game and then you're just hit with this like really nullifying ambient droning sort of foreboding track. Um, I remember I was playing it alone uh, in my uh, the basement of my parents house. and I don't think anyone else was home at the time. Um, and I remember I was genuinely scared, like playing this game, sitting alone with a controller in my hand. I was genuinely scared that something was going to happen or that I was doing something wrong or, you know, just just a weird feeling. So Anomaly was basically me trying to recreate that in a, in a chiptune. It was um it was a long process. The the writing process for Anomaly was like from start to finish uh, about four years, just under four years. Um, which is um you know some songs writing chiptunes is such a pain in the butt. Um, writing one song will sometimes take or like a, a song on the album called Four Lights took me at least fifty hours to write and hundreds of revisions. Um, and that's uh, that's a lot of me sort of coming up with a protocol and cross-referencing from start to finish, like, does this adhere to the protocol? And there's, like, I mean, for as long as the album was, there was about two times as much as that that I cut, uh, just because it didn't it didn't follow right. Like, um, I've always, I've called, I've coined this phrase, um, musical instinct, and that's where if I was to play you a note and just be humming you a note, uh, I would, your musical instinct is what is the next note that you would like to hear? Um, and everyone's should be different. Um, even though there's only a set number of notes, like, you know, if you keep the, you keep going after every note, like now, what do you want to hear? Now, what do you hear? That's how you start kind of getting a fingerprint of your musical taste, like what, what you like in music. And, uh, what I like in music is I can tell you this for a fact when I'm just letting myself go without coming up with, uh, protocols or adhering to protocols. Like I write stuff that sounds closer to, um, Melodia di Infinita, which was my first chiptune album. That was me basically just going off the rail where I said, write a song in the Lydian scale. That was like the the only criteria I had. And then I would just do whatever I had to do <clears throat> or like write an Egyptian song, blah, blah, blah. But when it came to write death metal music on uh, a medium that does not really support this mood, um, it took a long time to make sure everything sounded like it fit. And there was a lot of stuff that didn't fit and I had to cut it all uh, begrudgingly because that's kind of the problem uh, with my musical instinct. Uh, I tend to like the things that didn't sound like they fit on the album. Like those were my favorite parts, but I would have to sit and really analyze the, the parts that were in there to see like, well, this part actually fits the concept. So I'm I'm actually going to take the part I like out. And like by the end of the album, I'd actually really understood what I wanted to hear. But it, it took a long time, it took four freaking years to sort of get to the point where I was able to know what would sound right or not. And so my writing process got faster and faster as I went. 
it started out very slowly as I was writing those protocols um, just because I didn't I didn't know how to disseminate my own uh, I guess my will was interfering with the concept of the album but that was kind of what I decided on um, the concept was the most important part like I didn't just want to jump out there and be like here's a floating orn rad track because like it's just what came off the top of my head like it was a the concept was what I wanted to exist and that's kind of the hardest part like if you want something to exist um you need to work at it um to make sure it exists like so I'd, I'd actually written in written it out in my head like this is what i want to exist and this is what i have to accomplish for it to exist and um i kind of also didn't want it to exist if it wasn't going to be as good as it could be um and not in like a bragging way in like a in like a detail oriented way like I made sure I knew enough about death metal music or like the the techniques they used that I could recreate them accurately so that um, a death metal fan could at least listen to it and be like, well, technically, that's the you know, that's the drum riff or like that's that's what you would hear in a song structure. But like, it's obviously not death metal. It's a chiptune. So that's their take on it. And then a chiptune person might be like, well, yeah, technically, this is a NES chiptune. But like, you know, I don't really like this death death metal aspect because like that's not what chiptunes sound like. So it's kind of that was where I got the name for the album, uh, kind of uh, like a pun on that. It's an anomaly that like if you if you like death metal almost by default, you don't like chiptunes in the traditional sense because they're always really happy sounding. So um, although a lot of us grew up with chiptunes now, so we do actually like both those things like me, for example, but all the people who like anomaly also. But if you get like a traditional death metal guy, like 40 year olds. 40 years old now. He didn't really play a lot of Nintendo. He probably does not like chiptunes by default. Um, so, and the other way around too, like you get a lot of chiptune people that are into really happy sounding stuff, like even electronic dancing stuff. Um, they don't necessarily like death metal by default either. Um, so I was kind of writing it authentically from both angles in a way that would make neither side happy with it. And then the people that do like it are the people that have this need to listen to chiptune music and death metal music and like them both at the same time so it, it really fits like not only is chiptune kind of a like a already a niche um market of people well, not a market because it was a free album but a niche group of people um death metal also a pretty niche group of people like they don't represent a huge portion of the general public and then you write an album that from that group of people those two groups is also niche for them like now the people that like both of these together uh, you get a super small group of people and I wanted it to be so true for those people that like both sides of them could enjoy it. Like this is death metal and this is prog and this is NES music and this is super sciencey lyrics and like they're actually pretty uh, accurate and legit. I wanted it from like all fronts to be an authentic album. And with a concept like this, the, really the only way to have it be authentic would be um, to make sure you understood both genres well enough that you could convert them between each other and have like people, fans of those genres respect it, you know, like, okay, I see what you did there and I appreciate that. And the, the, the funny thing is that the only way that the fans can appreciate it is if they also already appreciate the genre you convert it to. And, um, you know, if you get weird, like I always have a problem where, uh, if music is like, I think traditionally, if people were to try and do something like this, they'd be like, OK, I'll write a death metal part and then I'll write a chiptune part and then I'll just 
splice them together like um what is that uh damn i can't remember the name of the band is it like attack attack or something the originators of crab core guitar playing where it's like basically like metal core for a minute and then just straight up techno dance for a minute and then metal core for a minute and if you if you take that concept i hate that i hate everything about that idea of writing um but i would almost love it if they were like well let's write the metalcore song in the dance format. Like that's, that's what I was trying to do with anomaly was like not, not have them be a separate thing, but be like, well, if you know how to write metalcore, or if you know how to write death metal, well then I want to hear you write it with something else. And that's basically the divide here. You have the instrument and you have the genre. And a lot of people always get chiptunes. Um, the thing about chiptunes is they are a genre and an instrument, like depending on, on like how you're using them and so in this case i was using them as the instrument but i was using the genre of death metal so i had to learn everything i could about death metal so that i could write death metal with this instrument that was not uh native to death metal and i wanted to make sure that when i did that that it was authentic enough that like you could say well that is death metal on this instrument but like some people would be like but i hate that (laughs) and that's and that's fine with me. was asked if i could pick a favorite track from anomaly to be played on the show and uh, i'd have to go with the first track the title track um anomaly uh there was only a couple tracks on the album that actually had lyrics so i I tend to enjoy those ones the best but uh, anomaly just kind of had enough uh, bits and pieces that i enjoyed about the concept itself um like it had the fast bits it had the slow bits it had low vocals it had high vocals um, it had some technical bits, it had some melodic bits, it had even like one of the few guitar solos that I tried to do on the album. Um, but also, uh, I'm and a funny anecdote about this track, the opening, uh, t- or the um, sound clip that you hear at the beginning is from an episode of Next Gen called Time Squared, and um, on the album version of it, you'll hear like there's this crescendo that uh, the orchestra's playing as Picard's saying like there's, uh, you know, everyone on the ship died except for him. Um, I actually had to splice in that crescendo sort of stinger from another part in the episode because in that episode, there's no like audio cue there, but I wanted the album to have that. So I actually had to dig ahead further on the, the, uh, the episode to find that, that stinger and then just crossfade it in with it so that the album started properly. Uh, So if you're ever watching that episode, and you've heard Anomaly before, I've had some people say like, and then I didn't, you know, I didn't recognize, you know, what. That's not what it sounds like. Um, so yeah, fun fact about Anomaly. Uh, my favorite track on the album. Captain's personal log supplement. I have just witnessed the total destruction of the USS Enterprise with the loss of all hands. Say one.
What have I been up to lately? Well, after Anomaly, I wrote the soundtrack or a large portion of the soundtrack for Retro City Rampage. Um, it used the same template as Anomaly, so it was a, a really similar music, only instead of having to adhere to a protocol of death metal, I was able to just like write whatever. And uh, Brian Provinciano, who made that game, he was the he he liked everything I wrote. There was almost nothing he said like, "Oh, could you change it a bit?" So it was kind of spoiled. It spoiled me in a way uh, for for being my first entry into video game. Uh, you know, being a composer for actual projects. Um, so anything I wrote, he was okay with, and uh, I got I got a little too used to that. Um, after I finished Retro City Rampage, uh, I got another offer for a, a smaller game, an iPhone game, uh, and they also wanted. Uh, you know, this was always the most dangerous part. They just wanted chiptune music, like quote chiptune music. And uh, you should know if you've listened to this podcast, I'm sure you know, like that covers a huge range of sonic potential. So I had to be very clear with them. Like, really, I'm I'm mostly known for. In fact, I'm only known for making like authentic NES music. Like, is that something you guys are into? And um, they were they were down with it. They they were all for it. Um, but coming off of Retro City Rampage, I, le- I had to learn the hard way that like my musical style um, is not for everyone. It's it's kind of a, a wacky sort of uh, eccentric style. Like um, because of the template I was using for Anomaly and Retro City Rampage, um, it was a bad template. Like I I wrote most of Anomaly with a few samples, like that were just um, the way trackers work. Like if you have a sample. If you hit a higher note, it just plays that sample, the same sample at a higher pitch so that it hits a new note, but it's not actually a new note. So the higher and lower I got away from the original pitch of the sample, like it would start sounding less authentic. So those soundtracks were not as authentic as they could be. And um, I got around that by um, the way I write music would be just like you don't usually hear it in my music, but when I'm writing the stuff, you'll certainly hear it. If you combine two, two, two of the certain notes or if you hold a note for too long and then hit another note that doesn't sound very good with it, you get this phase cancellation uh, cancellation sound or like they double and they sound too loud for a split second. And that's horrible. I hate the way that sounds like. And that's kind of how you can tell when when people aren't using an authentic program like like Family Tracker is an authentic program. So everything you write in that will like automatically by default adhere to Nintendo standards. But if you're using something like ModPlug, uh, which is what I use, um, it's harder to actually make it not sound like ass. So I had to, um, the way I got around that with my stuff was basically just writing a lot of notes so that you don't, even if I'm holding a note, um, if I hit a note that doesn't sound good with it, it, it skips over it as fast as possible. Like you know, There's always this sort of barrage of notes going. Um, but uh, what I was getting at with Slayin', um, they didn't like the way I wrote music. Like they would be like, it's uh, it's not melodic. They actually said it wasn't melodic to me. And and that was the first time I'd ever been hit with like, OK, well, we have like a we have like a miscommunication. Like I need to know what your concept of melodic is before I can start writing music like that. And um, that's the nature of, of the business is like if you're going to get paid to write music for a game, you have to at least um, you can't just be like, I'm going to write my music my way and F you guys. So like I was. I was fully prepared, like, okay, well, send me some, send me some, uh, like, clips or YouTube vids of, of anything that sort of hits the, the style you're going for, and, um, because they, originally, they said, like, we want it to sound heroic, and so when I thought heroic, I thought, Contra Boss theme, the most heroic song on the NES, 
So I would write stuff that sounded exactly like that, and they would say it's it's not melodic. So the, we obviously had a miscommunication. Uh, I, um, so basically, what I had to start doing was learning that I have to slow down uh, the amount of notes I'm hitting because they didn't like that. They hated it, and I think that was what was getting in the way of them hearing the the actual melody because I'm writing melodies so fast that like there's little you know, uh, fluty parts at the end that sort of add or like skip around so that you don't hear the notes cancellation or the note cancellation. Um, so I had to write or I had to make a new template first before I could even write music slower. I had to make a new template that actually had more notes. Um, so instead of having one sample that covered like a huge octave range, I had to make like a sample for every octave so that I could go up and down quickly and the notes wouldn't cancel out in this awful way. So with Slayin', that was the first time ever since I started writing chiptunes that I uh, I actually planned out a template first so that I could slow things down and have a note last for a little longer without it immediately sounding bad to, to my ears at least. So now, currently, I'm working on a project called Venture Kid. It's um, it's an, a smartphone game. It should be coming out December 1st. Um, I finished the entire soundtrack for it, though. It's, it's all ready to roll. I'm just kind of waiting till closer to the release date to actually uh, put the soundtrack out. Um, but uh, yeah, again, it's, it's another NES uh, chiptune album. But uh, this time, even learning the lessons from Slayin', I, I actually went back to the drawing board and made an even better template. Um, this time I, I learned how the Nintendo actually detuned its square waves um, so that they would sound better together. Like, if you just have two, two square waves playing perfectly in tune, you actually get like a buzzing sound sometimes. And uh, that's what basically every chiptune I'd written up till this point had. It had this buzzing sound, which, which isn't uncommon on a Nintendo. Um, it just wasn't what, like companies like Capcom and stuff did they went through a lot of lengths to make sure like there was a lot of detuning going on so that everything sounded more natural like a like a, I guess like a real instrument but I'd actually had to uh, throw a tuner on on some uh, Nintendo songs and find out the exact tuning they were using and, and I actually broke it down to like there's a there's an actual number for the tuning that they're whenever they're detuned they're detuned by this certain amount like there was since it's an 8-bit system um, there's only so many values they can have for tuning so smallest increment for tuning is what they would use to separate the square waves and I was actually able to, to find that out and implement that on this album. So this is the first um, the first bunch of chickens I've ever made that actually have detuning on them. So I guess this is the debut for um, the Venture Kid coming out December 1st.
Yeah, that song's really badass. It, it reminds me of um, the fight with Mewtwo at the end of Red and Blue. It's the same sort of intro style. It, it's like preparation for an epic battle and then the commencement and like clashing of fists. That's cool, yeah. That is really great to hear from Norinrad. Great to know that he's still writing music for, for game soundtracks now. Yeah, that was the final boss theme from Venture Kid, which will be coming out very soon, as Norinrad said. If you want to hear more of uh, the interview and more on Norinrad, you can listen to the full interview, unabridged, in all its glory, on YouTube. We'll put the link in the show notes. So, yeah, do that. Yeah, that's right. We Norinrad sent us so much audio that we couldn't quite fit it all in the show. So if you go on YouTube, maybe search Chiptune Death Metal or go to the show notes. I'm sure you'll find your way there. And you'll be able to hear him talking about a lot more about Anomaly, about a track called Naga Sotuva, which we actually featured on GameWave Podcast Compilation Volume 2 all those years ago. So we've got a, bit, a long and prosperous relationship with Norin Rad. It's good to finally get an update from him. Yeah, Norin Rad also sent us a request, a song you want to play on the show. And that song is The Dungeon by Next Life.
That was The Dungeon by Next Life. Yeah, and that comes from their release Electric Violence, which came out in 2007. Yeah, they're a group from Norway, so you know they must be heavy metal. Like, I saw a, a picture that was going around Twitter recently, and it had the map of the world, and it had different colours for concentration of metal bands, like metal bands <laughs> per 1,000 people or whatever, like... And, you know, you had, obviously, barely any in Africa and, <laughs> yeah. like, and things like that. You had a few in South America, quite a few in, like, Europe, Australia, America. But then you get to Scandinavia and the whole map is just, like, bright red because there's, like, one metal band for every, like, 100 people or something insane wow. like that. Interesting stuff. What What is concentrated in England? That's what I want to know. What do we have the most of? Uh, maybe Chavs, the elderly, teenage pregnancies. Yeah, true. <laughs> we're we're top of the charts for all yeah, that stuff. Probably. Right, and now I want to talk about a bit about Daniel Cannon and a recent talk he did at a TED meeting. He did, he was in Buffalo. He did a TED talk on chip tune. It was uh, with the subtitle "Pushing the Limits Using Constraints." We watched this earlier, didn't we? Mm, what did you think to that talk? It helped me relate to what some of my friends who make chiptune are on about. Like some of my other friends in school made music on like Fruity Loops and you know just general rubbish stuff with no hook, no kick, nothing to it. And then these guys who spend hundreds of hours on Famitracker perfecting and reperfecting. It's that's the difference between it. Like like he says about those slide the slider bars and the presets now. And you don't have that on old school. Yeah. I mean, he he shows, he gives a demonstration of how to use LSDJ yeah. on the Game Boy, which is really cool. And then he talks about, you know, how this soft, this hardware wasn't necessarily meant as an instrument to write music on, but it has become that. And that's what is special about the chiptune community. He gets quite philosophical, yeah. doesn't he? Which it I think does. you have to do in a TED talk. Yeah, it's kind of, it's a given in there. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's really cool. Definitely check it out. Again, we'll put the link in the show notes. Um, he talks about some really interesting stuff. Like, the thing about chiptune being an instrument is right, isn't it? Yeah, it's true. You can do all sorts of different things. Like, with Norin Rad and his heavy metal, and then you've got your sort of YMCK, you know, your Japanese poppy stuff. It's a complete spectrum. Exactly. Yeah, Norin Rad talked about that a bit in his interview. It's really cool. Check it out. He's definitely bigging up chiptune and everyone gives applause at the end. So. Yeah, man, it's, it's good stuff. It's good stuff. Now we've got two tracks in a row. The first is Orion by Red Ank. Coming up after that, we've got some Nez Metal because no metal special would be complete without him. <laughs> Thank you. 
this is Ness Metal. You're listening to the Game Wave. Okay, you just heard some Nez Metal there. He's another long-time friend of the show. I've been messaging with him lately. He's doing okay, working on some new music. We should have something to show soon from the Nez Metal camp, so look forward to that. And right now, we've got we've got to a, a special segment of the show, a special segment of the special, in fact, because we're going to talk a bit about Horse the Band, like because that is kind of a band that kick-started my interest in like the chiptune scene, even though they're not really chiptune or anything mm. like that. But like when I was, you know, in in school and growing up and hanging around with Mike, who used to host this podcast, and you know, we used to be in Spheres of Chaos together. We used to listen to Horse the Band. We used to go to Horse the Band shows and give Horse the Band our demos. 
and things like that. Yeah, I've seen him three times. How many times have you yeah, seen three him? Times. And we were all at the same gig. Yeah, man. This was like before we even like used to hang out, really. Yeah, we didn't have much contact. We knew, like, from family gatherings, we knew of each other, didn't we? We'd yeah. like hung out and played crash team racing and things yeah, like good that. Times. Um, but then we just used to keep bumping into each other at like horse the band shows. Yeah. Like, you, you did some crazy stuff at horse the band shows, didn't you? Like, oh, yeah. tell us about it. I went in the my friend decided to buy a horse mask and then there was only one horse mask so I bought a pig mask he commented on it in the show who he did? Said, uh, it was Nathan the singer and he said um, I get the horse but what's with the pig and then I got Eric to sign it at the end still got it in my bedroom I still put it on dance around naked sometimes and- <laughs> Eric is the synth play for Horse the Band. Yeah, isn't Napoleon he? Dynamite. Yeah, a very, very integral part of the band. They're amazing. We saw them three times at Corp, didn't we? At Corporation yeah. in Sheffield. They're just a life-changing band, aren't they? They're not really even a band. They're, they're a concept. They're more than a band, aren't they? Like, yeah, they Why do you love Horse the Band, Sam? I love them because of the experiences they've gone through and how they convey it through the music. Like, It's so much more meaningful than a lot of other stuff I might listen to like if you hear on the radio no trouble or anguish has like gone into that music it's just men in suits who've written it these guys have battled and struggled and so much goes into their music so much time and energy and you can just feel it it's awesome I mean they they the whole reason kind of they got lumped in with Nintendo Nintendo Core I mean they were kind of the creators of that whole genre weren't yeah, they? they were. it was because of their keyboard sound basically and the fact that they sung about video games mm. but I think a lot of people you know they saw that label and it did just become that a label and the band have kind of tried to distance themselves from the Nintendo Core label haven't they yeah and it's understandable though because that's not what they're about anymore they enjoy the video games but there's more to, they said they get over that, you know, they've got over the video games side of it, and yeah, they didn't like the Nintendo Core dub, did they? No, but they like using like Nintendo and video games as metaphors. Yeah, you know, do. they don't focus on it, but it's just one part of their sound, what they use to convey their messages and their music, which is really cool. Yeah, it's awesome. Yeah, but yeah, I mean, if you're into video game music, I'm sure you'll have come across Horse the Band. But they did have a peak in popularity, didn't they? Like, back maybe... Yeah, I was about, like, 14, maybe. Yeah, maybe around 2005, 2006 was Mm. kind of when everyone knew who they were. They were one of the biggest metal bands around, really, weren't they? Yeah, they were huge, especially at our school. Yeah. And I bought my Cotsman t-shirt, wore it into school like a badass. It was awesome. Yeah, and that, that tour that you were talking about earlier, well, when you went with, with the pig mask oh yeah that, that was one. during the earth tour wasn't yeah, it? it was and this is something that i feel a lot of people need to check out and they might not have heard about it what what did horse the band do on that tour <clears throat> they traveled across i think it's 45 40 something countries in 90 days and <clears throat> that might sound i don't know it sort of sounds it's just words isn't it until you've watched it and experienced it with them you won't truly realize how difficult it was and what they went through like the Nathan, the lead singer's descent into gentle madness and then <laughs> just the perversions and like the tiredness and stuff that goes wrong and I don't know, when I was at that show I enjoyed it but I didn't realise that what they'd yeah. gone through to get there, man. We just got one snapshot that night. Yeah. And the thing is, yeah, what Sam's talking about is Horse the Band made a movie called Earth Tour and it's like fifteen hours long. 
we've both I've watched it twice. How many yeah, times? I've only watched it? it once. Yeah, in a day. <laughs> but it's just an amazing piece of work, and it shows what they went through on that massive tour around the globe. It's crazy, isn't it? it? Is. Like they they actually go insane if they weren't in, they in the first place. It's true. It's an insight. It's a look into somebody else's life and way of life, and it makes you appreciate the music so much more. And what's so great is. Like, they released that movie, they released a photo book to go with it, didn't yeah. they? And we are in. Yeah, like, I'm are. in one of the photos, they've got footage from that show. Yeah, it's cool, the, you can see me hammering it around. In, in, in the, actually in the Earth Tour. Yeah. See, that's amazing. Yeah, it's cool, you have to slow it down, like, a little bit. But <laughs> Still, I'm you're in there. I am. You're in the pit. Yeah. I feel like a lot of people have probably forgotten about them, but after they did the Earth Tour, they came back with an album called Desperate Living, didn't they? Yeah. In 2009. This was a while ago, but it's, in my opinion, their best work. It and is. It's the changes of pace in it and stuff make it different. Like It's like the piano solo in... Um, which song is it? Yeah, towards the end of the album. Yeah. It's, it just changes it up and it makes it that bit more, I don't know, artistic and they express themselves better in it, I feel. I don't know. Well, you can feel like all the stuff they went through. The whole album is written about kind of yeah, the, the, Earth, the Tour. Earth Tour and what they what they went through. We're going to play a track for you from that album now. They've still got the Nintendo sound like on the synths, yeah. as you'll hear. This is the first track from the album. I definitely recommend checking out this release, Desperate Living. It's one of my all-time favourite albums. But this track we're going to play for you now is Cloud Walker by Horse the Band.
mouth and make the soft, smooth sound. So that was Cloud Walker by Nintendo Core Band, Horse the Band, from their most recent album, Desperate Living. Yeah, and if you want to see what they went through to make that song, go to horsetheband.com. There's a link to the tour and it's all free. And I, I can't emphasize this enough. It's, it's awesome. It will, if your life has no meaning, watch it. It will give it meaning. Seriously, go and watch it. The whole band is like philosophers throughout the, the whole of that tour. And like what they say becomes like reference points. Like the stuff they say is that deep. It's the truth. Man. It's insane. Like it sounds, we're, it sounds like we're bigging it up like way too much, but we're not. It's so we're not true. even doing it justice. Like the different, it's not even characters, the different people in the band. These aren't just like made up characters for you to like to entertain you and keep your brain brizzy. These are people trying to convey what they mean, and it's just so refreshing to see. Whereas currently you don't see much of that stuff, and because it is fifteen hours, you get so much more absorbed. I miss those fifteen hours. I would love to do it again. I like. wish I could watch it, watch it again for the first time. Yeah, man, it's so good. <laughs> <laughs> Right, well, we're coming towards the end of the GameWave Podcast Metal Special, unfortunately, now. We've got a bit of news about events going off in the chiptune scene at the moment. One cool thing that happened earlier on this month was the premiere of a documentary all about the, the 8-bit scene, the chiptune scene in Europe. It's called Europe in 8-Bits, and the premiere was earlier this month in Amsterdam. Hopefully, it looks like they're going to be showing it at other film festivals. I think it's definitely a project to keep an eye on and maybe catch when it comes to a place near you. You can go over to their Facebook page, Europe in 8-Bits. That's facebook.com forward slash Europe in 8-Bits. Cool, man. Yeah, coming up this Friday, in fact, um, this episode will be released on Friday, so it'll probably be a bit late by the time you've heard it, but there's there's a there's a show going on in Liverpool, a chip tune show, Chip Fest 8. Yeah, and it's got Chipsol, TDK, and Diamonds and Dynamite playing. It should be pretty cool. Unfortunately, we're not going to be able to make that, but good luck to all the participants. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure it'll be great. And if anyone goes and does have any feedback, then do let us know how it went. And also, there's another show coming up that you might actually be able to go to because it's in the future and not the present. <laughs> um, it's called 8-Bit Nights in Glasgow. Uh, the people playing are Mizkai, Critical Strike, Thurman Hero, Boo Boo, King Keaton, and Jimmy Lee. Should be pretty cool. That's a really nice li- lineup. Me and Harley travelled to Edinburgh, didn't we, for a show recently where we saw Boo Boo, we met King Keaton, we played them on the last episode of the show. We got some interviews from that show, so if you haven't checked out episode 69 of the podcast, do. It was a really cool one. But yeah, this is 8 Bit Nights happening in Glasgow. It's their second birthday party. On the 13th of December, you can head to their website, 8bitnights.com. I'll have to think about going to that one. Another trip yeah, to Scotland it, might be in order. Yeah, sounds like sounds fun. Sounds good to me. Yeah, Get some haggis in me. <laughs> haggis is good. I know, man. It's good stuff. <laughs> All right, well, you should go and like the GameWave Podcast Facebook page because we feed you things you like too. And by liking us, we will give you things you like, feeding like insertion <laughs> yeah what Sam's trying to say is if you haven't already liked the GameWave podcast Facebook page then what are you waiting for it's a place to keep in touch with those guys and we'll hit you with all the latest GameWave podcast material one thing I forgot to mention 
on on last week's show or episode 69 is that I have now uploaded videos from the night in Edinburgh so you get to see the videos I took on my very own iPhone of Boo Boo Comptroller, Pulse Looper and Sky Pope. You can only check them out through the GameWave podcast page. In fact, I think I posted them on Twitter as well. So if you're not following me on Twitter either, then head on over to at Joe GameWave. Follow me on Facebook and Twitter. Come on. Just like yeah, you need more of me in your life, pretty much. Yeah, and he's gonna connect a lot like his phone's email, so it'll get your likes and it'll make it vibrate in his pocket and he likes it. I really enjoy that. Yeah, so that's the main incentive. It makes me happy at the end of the day. <clears throat> yeah, show your support. If you like this, then like us and then we can do more stuff. That's it, pretty much. Yeah. Please. Cool. So Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash GameWave Podcast. My Twitter is at Joe GameWave. Do you have a Twitter? I don't think you do, do you? No, I don't have one. you got Facebook, though. Yeah, I have. I have, but I try to update as little. You as need possible. Facebook, though. Like That's just like you do. requirement these days. It's you know the truth. I mean? You miss out on loads of events. You lose friends. It's the truth. <laughs> yeah. Not so you can have some real fun with it as well. Like a girl my, from my old school. Posted a picture of her and a baby, and then I did a face swap of her and a baby. <laughs> posted it on a Facebook page. I got death threats from a boyfriend. Really? Yeah, but it, I'll show you it, Mum. It is very funny. <laughs> yeah, you can do things like that on Facebook. Yeah, so, um, that's my main use of Facebook. That's pretty funny. Yeah, if you want to check out more of the GameWave podcast, we've also got our website, GameWavePodcast.com. Head on over to the episodes page. There you can check out all the show notes. We list all the artists and tracks we've played and any other incidental information. Cool. All our episodes are hosted by Pause at www.iimusic.net. Yep. And we're also part of the KNGI Podcast Network. Uh, you can find that at kngi.org. It's awesome. You should have a look. Yeah, that's a collection of a lot of the video game music shows from Arecibo Radio in podcast form. We're part of it. We're really proud to be part of it. It's cool. Check it out. Yeah, so unfortunately we're coming towards the end of our metal special now. We'd like to say thank you to Heosphorus and Norin Rad for taking part. It's been a really cool show. I've enjoyed myself. How do you feel, Sam? Yeah, it's been brilliant. I feel like I've been ground into a fine dust by some large metal plates. We're going to finish off the show with a track by Machine Supremacy, who we used to play a lot on the show back in the day. This is one of their more recent tracks. It's called Rise of a Digital Nation. You were saying you you know of Machine Supremacy through Step Mania. Yeah, they're popular in a couple of Step Mania packs. They've got an easy rhythm to follow with notes, so quite easy songs to step, but fun songs to play. Yeah, you could, just quickly before we finish, you play a lot of Step Mania as well as Pokemon, don't you? Not as much anymore, but it, it used to be my advice. It's why I failed my exams. <laughs> I used to spend at least five hours a day playing it. I had some of the best times of my life on there. It's like an online rhythm game, isn't it? Basically? Yeah, it is, with all your friends. I don't know what the community's like nowadays, but it's still like part of my childhood. But there's still, there's a lot of chiptune yeah. artists involved in that, oh, isn't there? Oh, like, that's, that's Shiraban, what developed my, my taste in music, man. Seriously. Yeah, there's Shiraban, Chibitech, that introduced me to YMCK. But there's, there's loads of genres on it, but it is mainly Japanese stuff <clears throat> and chiptune-y stuff. Yeah, that's that developed my taste pretty much. Yeah, because you h- held like the world record on certain tracks for like a few minutes or something, didn't you? Yeah, I held the world record for less than a day on I think it was Black Lawn Finale, and then I held a I, st- I might still hold I don't know a British world record on 
No, I won't still hold it now, actually. But I think it was for Strange Program by DJ Sharpnell. Right. But that was a long time ago. Nobody will know who I am anymore. We should have announced that at the start of the show, like, ex-world record holder <laughs> no. Sam Siddle. No, don't do that, man. <laughs> cool. Anyway, so we're going to finish off with something from Machine Supremacy. Do you have a final message for the listeners tonight, Sam? Um, yeah, keep an open mind, but don't let any, like, pollutants in. In fact, do. Just let them in anyway. <laughs> Is that it? I don't know. Yeah, all right. Yeah. And thanks for listening. We'll see you again for episode 71 next time. See you later. Cool. See you in a bit.